0: when you just got married. So it's after a while that we begin to realize that, ah, I didn't know that you could even do like this. You, you, see, you see what I mean? So character traits talk about the real you. It's not about pretending. It's not about trying to be this, trying to be that. It's who you are at your core. You know, and then the first character trait we want to talk about is loyalty. Loyalty. You see, the reason why we are looking at these character traits is because we believe that you need to have them as your character to be a great supportive minister. One mistake people make when we are teaching this aspect of the course is to think that They are saying, this is how I should be in church. No. You cannot switch a character trait off and on. Did we get that? What you can switch off and on is an inclination to pretend. Oh, let me pretend like I'm a good person. That's easy, but it cannot be sustained for long because that's not the real you. Character trait is who you are when you are awake, even in your dream. That's the way you still behave because that's the real you. You see it. So we are not saying, the things we are going to be talking about, we are not saying, oh, try and be like this in church. We are saying try and be like this, period. Whether you are in church, whether you are not in church, whether you are anywhere you are, this is what your character should be. If you are not like that outside and you try to be like that in the church, you won't be able to keep it up. So, the first character trait we're going to talk about is loyalty. And this loyalty matter, we are not saying be loyal in church. We are saying just be a loyal person. When you are a loyal person, you'll be loyal in church. When you are trying to only be loyal in church, you will struggle. The first trait is loyalty. And what is loyalty? Loyalty is an internal devotion to the welfare of a person or an organization. An internal devotion to the welfare of a person or an organization. You know, loyalty is one of those things that is becoming more and more rare in our day and time. You know? Sometimes you hear people talking, ah, I'm still loyal, sir. Many times they are not. Or maybe we should say they are loyal to themselves. True loyalty is becoming more and more scarce. And that is because true loyalty is not very well understood. Even by people who sincerely want to be loyal, part of the problem is they just don't understand Remember we said it is an internal devotion to the welfare of a person or an organization. You know, um, in my opinion, there are two examples of extreme loyalty in Bible. You know, two examples of extreme loyalty. The very first one is Ruth. Maybe that's the only one we'll consider because we don't have so much time to, for the rest of the course to be able to consider the two. But the other one is Jonathan. Jonathan was loyal at the cost of his life. You know, the other time when we we're talking about, a, a, about prioritizing respect for the office of the leader, we we're talking about Saul. And we said Saul was trying to kill David. Why was Saul trying to kill David? Saul knew that Jonathan would never rule if David leaves. Do you get what I'm saying? Jonathan said, look, I will die so that, you can, so that you can fulfill your destiny and rule Israel. That's loyalty. You see, one of the reasons why loyalty is difficult for us to understand sometimes, for us to walk in sometimes, is that truly loyal people are always somewhat unreasonable. And normal people don't understand them. You are a prince, you are the first son of a king, and then you are supporting your friend to become king after your father dies. Is that reasonable? No, it's unreasonable. But loyal people are always just a little unreasonable. Look at Ruth, for example. The Bible tells us the story of Ruth in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, the Bible tells of a man called Ahimelech. Um, He had a wife called Naomi. He had two sons called um, Malion and what? Chilion. Interesting. Now, this man left the land of Israel, you know, left Bethlehem, and went to the land of Moab when there was a famine. It reminds me a lot of all the people running to Canada. And I tell them, okay, go, the Lord is with you. But just know that when you come back, we'll be doing very well. You try and do very well over there too. So this man ran away to the land of Moab. And while he was in the land of Moab, his two sons married two ladies who were Moabites. And then they married these Moabites and the two marriages did not produce children before the father died and then the two sons died and Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law. And then it came to a time, Naomi said, Naomi heard that the famine was over in Israel and she said, I'm going back. And then the two girls said, we are going with you. And the three of them started going. Now, Those days were a bit different from these days. You know, these days, we have this thing called independent woman. You know? Then there was nothing like independent woman. You know? Um, uh, In those days, if you are going to do well as a woman, you need to be in one of three relationships with a man. It's either you have a man who is your father and can take care of you, or you could have a man who is your husband and can take care of you. Or you could have a man who is a son and can take care of you. If you don't have a relationship with a capable man in one of these three contexts, you are in trouble. Do we get the picture I'm painting? Yes. Yes. You need either a father or a husband or a son to take care of you. And if you don't really have anybody in one of those three relationships, you could have like a proxy. If you don't have a father, you could have an uncle who will be like a father to you. If you don't have a husband, maybe you have a brother, a brother-in-law that will do what your husband should have done in taking care of you. Or if you don't have a son, maybe you have nephews, you know, who can also do that. But you must have a man who is ready to step up and take, take up one of these roles. Now, Naomi had nobody like that. And going back to the land of Israel, she wasn't sure she would ever have anybody like that. So out of the kindness of her heart, she looked at these two ladies who were following her, and she said, look, it's better if you go back. I have nobody who can be a father to you. I have nobody who can be a husband to you. I have nobody who can be a son to you. She said, even if the Lord should grant me children, should grant me sons today, are you going to wait for those sons to grow up so you can marry them? That was Naomi's question. And when she told them, the two girls said, no, 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 we are going to follow you to the land of Israel. Naomi explained the matter to them again. When she explained, the other girl, Opa, she borrowed herself brain, like we like to say. She said, Ah, Mama, I know that this thing you are saying is for my own good. You've been a good mother in law to me ever since I met you. Thank you. She quickly picked her own bag and went back to the land of Moab. But Naomi told them, It's better you go back. Peradventure, the Lord will give you husbands. They needed husbands. Instead of Ruth to take the advice, she, I mean, see what she says. Help us project it. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 17. See what she says. Totally unreasonable. Ruth chapter 1 and verse 17. The Bible says, Entreat me not to leave you. These are some of the most, let's start from verse 16. These are some of the most beautiful words in the Bible. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. She said, Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. This is unreasonable. I don't know what the words of their own marriage vows are, but the modern marriage vows is till death do us part. Until death do us part is between you and the man. You never had kids for this man. And now you are telling his mother, your mother-in-law, you are telling her that, don't beg me to stop following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, there will I die and be buried. The only thing that can separate us is death. That is true loyalty. Such loyalty is rare today. Such loyalty is scarce today. Such loyalty, you you see, for most people, that's just the problem. They are too reasonable to be loyal. You know, ah, This church that you are going, better go with Senso. Such people are never loyal. You know, imagine Sunday morning, maybe tomorrow now, um, like 7 a.m., there is a very serious thunderstorm. You know those kind of thunderstorms that we can sometimes have in Lagos? And people are adjusting duvet to sleep for like two or three more hours. Then you you are checking umbrella whether the umbrella is still sound. You know people will look at you and say, "Ah, hey, may God answer our prayer." <laughs> so if you don't go to church this Sunday now, that's it. You cannot go at another time. You know, is your pastor the only pastor in? Le- I know many good pastors in Lagos. Oh. Don't do as though, you know, they will make you feel like there's something wrong with you. Inside this rain, when everybody should be, you, you want to go to church, do they share money in that your church? What are you people doing there? Now, these same people will not ask like that if it were Monday morning. They will say, ah, you have to go to work in this rain. Hey, yeah. They would understand. But when it is going to church on Sunday morning, you say ah why can't you wait for the rain to stop so it's only those who are loyal to the point of being described as unreasonable that really meet that qualification of being loyal when you've not gotten to that point you are not you are just not You see, loyal people, they never prioritize their own safety. They never do. It's as though they are unable to think of their own comfort and welfare before the comfort and welfare of the people they are being loyal to. Do we we see what I'm saying? Yes. What is it that could make someone... Take a bullet for another person. Think about all those people that work in the president's security security team. They are trained to be able to stand between him and a would-be assassin. They are trained to say, instead of you to die, let me die. That's unreasonable. Are you not supposed to be working for a reward? Are you not supposed to be working for a salary? Who will enjoy that money when you are gone? You want to die for someone that probably does not even know your name. True loyalty always has this, there's just some unreasonableness about it. You know, I had a friend we used to walk together years ago and we used to discuss a lot in the office and one day she told me a story, I'll never forget that story. Now, this friend of mine, she was, she was born rich and she was raised pampered and spoiled. You get what I mean, you know? She was born in a mansion in Ikoi and then when she got married, she got married to a young man who was also born rich. And they started their life in a mansion in V.I. You know, people, some people work hard all their lives, believing God to be able to buy a house in V.I. Maybe when they are close to retirement. They just started their lives in a mansion right there in V.I. And then, you know how those mansions can be? The generator there can probably power up this church, the next three compounds, that kind of very big gen. And then one day, the generator refused to start. They called the person that normally services it. He came to check it and said, look, um, this thing is damaged. We're going to have to buy some parts for it. It's going to take me about seven days to get the parts and come and fix it. So they were going to be without a gen for like seven days. Now, if you know anything about many of those places in V.I., they rarely have electricity. They rarely do. Um, They also have conspiracy theories about why they don't, but they just don't most of the time. So, um, she and her husband discussed it, and they accepted their fate that, okay, there's not going to be any electricity, whether Nepal or whether gen, in this house for the next seven days. So she told her husband, okay, let's pack our bags. Let's go and stay with my mom for a week in Ikoi. Now, um, for most men, they don't like the idea of going to live with their mothers in law I don't know why that is, but we are not wired that way. They can tolerate her coming for a while, but they don't want to have to go and live in her house. It's a man thing. So, um, ladies, don't try to understand it. But it's, it's part, I think it's part of what makes you a man. The reluctance to live with your, now, that's just me and my culture speaking Up, don't take that as, they said that, they said in that training that that's what makes you a man. No, 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 that's not part of the training. But I'm just saying that <laughs> if somebody were to say that with me, to me, I wouldn't disagree. You know? So, she said, let's go and stay with my mom. The husband said, no, I don't think that's a good idea. She said, why should we stay here in the heat? Let's go. My mom has so many empty rooms. After she had been on his case for a while, the guy said, okay, if you want to go, you can go, but I don't want to go. So what did my friend do? She packed her bags and left. So she got to her mom's house. And then the mom saw her. Now, this one had been married for maybe less than six months. The mom saw her with a bag. Also, of alarm bells were going off in her head. So she said, ah, where's your husband? What are you doing here? So she started explaining that the gen is bad. You know, I'm just going to be here for a while. The mom said, wait, stop. Um, Let's go outside. So as they were going outside, the mom said, don't forget to carry your bag. (laughs) Carry it outside. So while they were outside... The mom said, oh yeah, start the story again. So she explained in detail this time. The gen is bad. I'm here to stay for like seven days. After that, I'll go back. The mom said, look, when you married him, he had a gen. And you were enjoying his gen with him. Now that he doesn't have a gen, go and suffer in the heat with him. You know? The mom actually told her, I thought I raised you better than this. You know? So the mom said, "Um, call me when you get home. Then told the gate man, please lock my gate for me. (laughs) And she entered the house and locked the door, locked her out. Now the mom understood a principle that my pampered and spoiled friend didn't seem to understand. Sometimes loyalty is about suffering with someone, even if you don't have to. You see, a loyal person never says, I warned you, but you didn't listen. Now you have put yourself in trouble. A loyal person will say, I warned you, you didn't listen. Now you have put us in trouble. How do we know that God is a loyal God? Psalm 91, I believe it's verse 16. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say there? I will be with him. This is not the verse I want. Verse 15. Thank you so much, sir. shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. I will be with him in trouble. You know, many times in my life when I am in trouble... I just plain old speak up to God and say, Ah, God, I've put you in trouble again. (laughs) Because without my impute, he made a commitment. I will be with him in trouble. Sometimes we shortchange ourselves when we try to make this about works. When you are in trouble and it's not your fault, you say, God, you can see that it's not my fault. You can see that these people are just trying to put me in trouble. Well, he didn't say he will be with you in trouble when it is not your fault. He's just going to be with you in trouble, whether it's your fault or not. Do we see what I'm saying? Yes. He was with Jonah when Jonah was in a storm, and it was Jonah's fault. He was with Paul when Paul was in a storm, and it wasn't Paul's fault. So he said, I will be with him in trouble. Whether it's your fault or not, God will be with you. God does not have a bigger commitment to be with you or help you when it is not your fault. Whether it's your fault or not, he's going to be there with you. There may be consequences if it's your fault and all that. But the important thing that should give you confidence is he will be with you. And that's the way we need to be as loyal people. If your leader is in trouble, whether it is his fault or not, it is your duty to stand by him. You know, and the the thing with loyalty, I was saying that earlier, is many times it takes hard times to locate who is loyal and who is not. Some people you think are going to be loyal, hard times will prove that they are not loyal. And some people you think are not loyal, hard times will show that, ah, this person, even though it can be troublesome, but the times when we went through trying periods, he was the one who was there for us. It's very important. It's very important. You know, some people themselves is until the church goes through a hard time that they will realize, so you mean I was never loyal? Because many times, if I ask now, who is loyal? Everybody will put their hands up. Everybody will put their hands up. But it may take a truly trying time. Imagine we all come for church service tomorrow morning. And maybe you got down at um, that bus stop is casino, right? Yes. So you got down at that bus stop, casino, and they are just strolling to church, maybe talking in tongues under your breath. And as you just get to that junction, you see you see that mobile police truck. You know, then you see some members of this church, they've put handcuffs behind their back already and they are assisting them to get into the you know, some people, the way they will just negotiate that corner. You will never believe that this is where they were coming. You will never imagine that this is where they were. Ah, you will never think about it. It will never occur to you that ah. So that was part of. Uh, that was one of them, you know. For some people, it's until like eight p.m. at night that they will now start calling. hey, what even happened this morning? Because if they've arrested you, why must they arrest me also? How can I help you if I'm with you inside? Is it not if I'm outside I can look for how to bail you out? That's how reasonable people will talk. But truly loyal people will know that, ah, ah these are my own. You know, even if it is the fault of the leadership, the attitude will be, ah, you have put us in trouble now. I am with you in it. We are together. Do you see what I mean? Yes. So it's important for us to have loyalty as a character trait. Be loyal in your office. Be loyal to your spouse. Be loyal to your friends. Don't be the sort of person that they know, uh, he will only prioritize his own well-being. He will only put his own comfort first. He will all, Don't be that kind of person. Be the kind of person that you have a true internal devotion to this church and to its leadership. Why? Because you are a loyal person. It's very, very important. A, a church will struggle to do well when everybody there is just about their own interests. And like I said, when things are rosy, you will not know that that's how some people are. It is until we have challenges that you will discover how people are. Let's move on. Our time is fast spent. The second thing we want to talk about, along the lines of um, character traits of a great supportive minister Um, is a great supportive minister works well with others. A great supportive minister works well with others. A great supportive minister works well with others. And you see, under this matter of working well with others, um, we can look at it in three categories. You know, the first category that we'll talk about is leadership. Leadership. A great supportive minister who works well with, with leaders will show the attitude of submission to leadership. Submission to leadership. Now, Submission is another concept that we do not understand very well in the body of Christ. You know, sometimes when I say this, people think, ah, ah, only you. You know what? People don't understand well, don't understand well. But it comes from years of people talking about it and people thinking, you know, acting in a particular way, thinking that they are being submissive. Do we, do we see what I'm saying? Yes. You know, you could have some things that are not very well understood. For you. Most people don't understand what stamina means. You know? Most people think stamina has to do with... Yeah, you're being... It sounds similar. Stand, stamina. So when you find somebody who falls down, they will say, ah, could stamina. But stamina really has to do with endurance. Well, let's not make this an English class... But I'm just trying to say that not everything that, not every word that people use a lot, people use regularly, is not every word that they understand. Let's go back to this issue of submission. What does it mean to submit? To submit is to yield, is to give in. Let me say this first about submission. And, you know, we said we are looking at these things as character traits. We are not talking about submission because we think, oh, the best way for this church to run is for you to submit to leadership in the church in that sense. We are saying that the best way for this church to run is for you to be a submissive person in general to all the leaders in your life. If you are not a submissive person, you will struggle to submit here. It's not a switch that is easy for you to turn on and off. The reason why many marriages have problems is because the lady never learned to submit, but went into the marriage believing that, eh, when we get to that bridge, we'll cross it. Ah, I will submit now. And then she ends up not submitting. It's the same thing is true with men. Many men don't know the first thing about walking in love. But you see, because there is a way they feel about that lady, they feel, ah, she's so easy to love. When you love someone who is easy to love, there will be problems. When you love someone because they are easy to love, because when they start behaving in ways that do not inspire love, you will start struggling. Let's stay. You know, sometimes some of these things that we struggle to understand when it comes to maybe church, we get to understand them better when we are looking at things like marriage and relationships. That's why sometimes I use a lot of examples from that. And then I hope we can transpose it to how a church is meant to be. Let's look at this this way. I, tell, I usually tell ladies, maybe you are looking to get married and all that, and you've met him. Sometimes I ask them that, does he love you? Ah, he's so loving. Does he treat you well? Hmm. He's my prince charming. Then I ask, how does he treat other people? Ah, he's tough. He doesn't take nonsense. Doesn't take nonsense, you know? In fact, when he's angry, I'm the only one that can calm him down. Ah, there was one day we went to eat in a restaurant. And then the waiter messed up the order. And you know, the way he insulted that guy. I was just the one that was telling him, baby, calm down. Baby, calm down. (laughs) And then he now calmed down. You know, many times I always know, okay, Um, When are you getting married again? Let's have the counseling six months after. Because I already know what's going to happen. You see some men, um, they give the waiter an order. The waiter messes it up. The waiter comes back and says, you see your life? That's why you are just an ordinary waiter. That's why you are so useless. I usually tell the ladies, watch how he's talking to this waiter. That's how he's going to talk to you after you are married. That's exactly how he's going to. See, when you are in love with someone, you tend to treat them right. You tend to treat them well. When people upset you, you tend not to treat them well. Watch how he treats people he's upset with. Watch how he treats his younger sister that is always asking him for money. You, you don't know more than money. If you like, go and sleep with sugar daddy. I don't have money to give you. You are a fool. You, are a, you don't even know the when you are unemployed. That's why you just think you'll be asking me for money anyhow. The, there is a day coming when you will ask him for money. That's how he will describe your father and your mother for you. <laughs> Do you see my point? So I'm saying that submission is poorly understood. And one of the reasons why... Submission is poorly understood. It's because we've associated some ideas with submission that have nothing in the world to do with submission. I'll give an example. Suppose I were to join this church and I start attending this church. And then when I come into church, I come in with a stiff back. What do I mean by a stiff back? My back cannot bend. And then my nose is always in the air. And then when I'm greeting people, I'll greet them like this. Hold on. Hold on. You know, you'll get to a time in this church, two people will be talking and say, do you know that guy that just started attending church? I don't know him more. That guy, you know, that guy that is not submissive. And the other person will know immediately that they are talking about me. Why? Because... So I look like the kind of person that when pastors say something, I'll be like, no, what do you mean? Do you see what I mean? Yes, we confuse submissiveness with being agreeable. You know, English is funny. To be agreeable doesn't actually mean you agree. It just means you are nice and pleasant. Yes. So we like to have people agreeable, and it's good to be agreeable. Why must you come into church with a stiff back? If you are greeting people, why can't you bend down? Why can't you? You know, if I come in and they say, that guy that is not submissive and I'm greeting people like that, nobody would ever be able to fit me to that description. Yes. But the truth is, true submissiveness has nothing to do with being agreeable. There are people that are agreeable and they are not submissive and there are people that are agreeable and submissive. There is no There's no correlation. You get my point? Yes. Let me say this about submission and then we'll move on. One reason why we struggle with submission is because we don't understand that for true submission to occur, there must be a point of disagreement. If there is no point of disagreement... Submission cannot occur. For example, um, when we finish this training now, some people, maybe their plan is to go to Leki. My plan is to go in the other direction, you know, towards Ikeja. Now, if I come to you and I say, where are you going? And you say, Ikeja. And I say, oh, I'm going to Ikeja too. And then... I say, ah, let's go together. I haven't submitted to you, and you haven't submitted to me. Do we see that? Both of us, we have done what was in our hearts to do. But if I come and meet you, I say, Where are you going? Lecky. Ah, I want to go to Ikeja. Eh, okay, I'm going to Lecky. No, don't go to Lecky. Come with me. Now, that's the only time an opportunity for submission is there. Why? Because there is a point of disagreement. Sometimes you see people in the church, maybe Pastor Paul is suggesting or saying, let's do something. And then they will come and say, "Um, Pastor, please don't be annoyed. For me, I believe in saying my mind. I've been attending this church for seven years and I have never disagreed with you before you know I'm very submissive. There's a contradiction in those statements. If you have never disagreed with him before, you know, it's possible for somebody to be, you have a relationship with someone 10 years and everything they say, you look at it and say, whatever you want, I'm fine with it. But that doesn't mean that you are submitted to that person. It just means that The person is smart the person is intelligent and all the suggestions the person is making is okay with you you know in your office if maybe like every six months now your boss calls you and says hmm I don't even know how I'm going to tell you this but let me just tell you Um, we have decided to increase your salary you'll never have a problem with that conversation (laughs) would you no. Anyone that hears, for 10 years, I've never quarreled with my boss. Because every time he'll call you and say, I don't even know. Ah, um, I hope you are not going to be annoyed if we add like 70000 to your monthly salary. You like that. You want that. And if marriage could be like that also, there would never be any need for submission. Do we get what I'm saying? Suppose as a lady there's this new school they just started around your house and you look at that school you realize that hmm this is the school I want my kids to be going to. This is the kids I, this is the school I want my kids to be going to but there's just one small problem. The school that they are in now we just changed their uniform. You get my point. We just changed their uniform we just paid school fees. So how do I go to my husband now and tell him that there's this new school again? So, well, that day, you get home early, you prepare his favorite meal, you, you know, all through the time, you are giving him signals that, hmm, Mr. Man, I'm going to be nice to you tonight. So, all the while you are plotting and you are working how you are just going to bring up that subject. And I just praying that God should guide you with Agbekale oro. <laughs> now, those that know what that means should I explain to those that don't know. Yes, it just means knowing how to broach a subject. So while you are still praying about it, he just says, "Hey, there is something that I wanted to tell you. You know that new school. What would you say if we change the children to that school?" how would you reply? You would love that because he's suggesting what you want. You get what I mean? Yes. At that point, if you can say, "Ah, okay, darling, if that's what you want, you are not being submissive. <laughs> you are not. You are not being submissive at all. You are merely agreeing with your own will. Sometimes, even with God, that's the way it is. You know, how many people open their Bibles and God says, um, you are the healed of the Lord. By his stripes you were healed. And you say, ah, God, what kind of God are you? You don't know more than healing. Is that, how, is that what our attitude is? No, because that's what the flesh wants. The flesh doesn't want to be sick anyway. So if God says, the flesh doesn't want to be broke. So if the Bible says, my God shall supply your need, you never have issues with that. What do we have issues with? What we have issues with are things that go against our own flesh. And it is at that point of disagreement, at that point of having a difference, that I can choose to submit or not to submit. You know, sometimes you you talk to maybe a church member or maybe you talk to a lady and you say, Okay, why are you not submitting to your pastor, your husband in this particular matter? And they will say, Ah, what he is suggesting is totally unreasonable to me. You see, it is because it is totally unreasonable to you that you need to submit. If it were reasonable to you, you just agree. I'm not sure if I said that in a way that you understood. Yeah, sometimes I say, ah, it doesn't make sense. Ah, I can't, I don't understand why he's saying that that's what we must do. You see, submission is designed to manage situations where what is being suggested is unreasonable to you. If everything your leader was going to say was going to be reasonable to you, then we will not have a need for submission. Because to submit is to give in. To submit is to yield. To submit is to say, look, I don't agree, but I know that I'm supposed to do what you want. That's why even for the men, even for the pastors, for the leaders, we must use that power with discretion. Try to listen to your wife. Try to listen to your follower. Try to understand that their objection very well. Don't just make it by fiat. No, you have to do what I say. You know, some people will even come to the pastor to report their wives, and they will first of all coach the pastor first in how to address this matter. Pastor, I know you are a man of God. You are a real man of God. Not like all these other people that are just, you know, disgracing themselves all over town. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, you know, wives, submit unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. And pastor, you know that's what the Bible says. Uh So they they would have given pastor all the verses he's supposed to use in addressing the matter, and they would have coached him that, look, you know, you're, you know she's supposed to submit to her. Uh-huh, before I will withdraw my statement that you are a good man. <laughs> they would have coached the pastor. You know, because really, they are just looking for a way to dominate that woman. And you see, that's why submission involves trusting God. Remember the Bible says in um, Ephesians chapter 5, it says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. In the fear of God. You see, let's look at Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. It's obvious that for... It's obvious that they are childlessness for many years. I hope you will excuse me when I say I think it was Sarah that had a problem. Why do I think so? At 84, Abraham had a baby with Hagar. You know, but Sarah had not been able to conceive all of her life. At that point, Abraham was 84 years old. Sarah was 74 years old. Now, They continued, at 84, Abraham could still have kids. By the time Abraham was 99, even Abraham's engine had knocked. He couldn't perform anymore. But it was at that point, when Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 89, that Sarah conceived. I'm saying this so you would appreciate what that child meant to Sarah. At the time when Sarah was still young, when she could still have a monthly flow, she never conceived. She now conceived at the age of 89. You know, in um, Romans 4, the Bible talks about the deadness of Sarah's womb. You know, the Bible talks about Abraham's body was now dead. That was the, was the time when they conceived and they had a son. So how do you think Sarah would have felt if Abraham were to come and say, you see this child, God said I should go and sacrifice him. All of the All of the issues you have with your husband, they suddenly pale into insignificance, don't they? All those disagreements. Imagine imagine Abraham going to meet Sarah and say, you see this child that you had when you were 90 years old. God said, I should go and sacrifice him. So you see, the only way Sarah could ever submit is out of reverence for God. You cannot appeal to Sarah's reasoning. You cannot appeal to her sense of logic. You cannot appeal to her emotions. Ah, you, and you know I love you. You know I would never do anything to hurt you. All of that kind of talk is, is nonsense at this point. What you are saying does not make sense. What you are saying does not, you know, they say women are more emotional than logical. Whether it is logic or emotions, she can't deal. She can't deal. The only platform on which she can deal is, I fear God. And if he has said, I should submit to you, then I leave it to you and God to sort out this matter. The only thing I know is when you are coming back. Come back with this boy. <laughs> so submission involves faith. That look, this area that we are talking about, I'm more of an expert than pastor. I know it better than him. Do you get my point? I know it better than him, I understand it better than him, is my area of professional expertise. But if he says he will not take my advice, he prefers for us to do it this way, God <laughs> sort it out with him. My own is to do what he has said we should do. That's why in the place of submission, you owe your leader to speak up and say, actually, actually, I don't agree. Actually, this is what I think we should do. But if you insist, I tell people, when you submit, when you give in, now, what I'm about to say now, sometimes you don't even bother. Just be quiet and do what you need to do. But there are some times when the situation may be so extreme and you have to talk with your leader or your pastor about it. When you have to do that, do these three things. First of all, let the conversation be private. Nobody likes being disagreed with publicly, especially when you do have a point and what the leader is about to do is not very wise. Everybody would prefer, if you're about to do something wise and somebody is saying don't do it, everybody would prefer for that conversation to be private. So approach the leader privately. When you approach the leader, let them know that this is not about rebellion. So you can start out by saying, um, sir, you are the leader in this church, in this unit, and whatever you say we should do, that is what we are going to do. But this decision, I would have preferred if we do this instead. If it's a verbal conversation, you can say, because of these five points. Do you see what I mean? Try to have thought through your, your points beforehand to the point that you even know the five points um, four points, three points that I'm going to mention, it may be better sometimes for you to put everything in writing so that it's a documentation of your own perspective. You get my point. Say, so, well, it's for these five points, it's for these three points, it's for these four points. State those points. When you are finished, say, well, these are the reasons why I don't like the decision that you are making now, but if you insist, I will go along with your decision. You get my point. If it seems that he doesn't understand some of the points, take one more opportunity to explain to him, but don't say it beyond those two times. You know, state it one, give clarification, second, move on from it. Whatever the consequences of his not listening are going to be, it's up to God to bear the consequences. That's the way a person who trusts God thinks, and behaves. I don't understand this one that you are saying, go and sacrifice my only son. But I believe that your God will take care of this situation. That's the only way Sarah could have handled that decision. Most movie depictions of that thing, they always suggest that Abraham did not tell Sarah. And I don't disagree that maybe that's the way it happened because I don't see how Sarah would really, really, you know, manage that information well. But you see, if she was told, the only way she would allow it is if she believes that, you see this God, I trust him. I trust him. He will not give me a child at 90. Then say they should go and "Ah, Of all the little children in the world, it's my own son. That you must sacrifice. (laughs) So submission involves real faith. Anybody can believe when they tell you, "Do you know you are going to be healed tonight?" I want to. Please let me bring it quickly. I like that. But you see, real faith is when you know this thing is going to go bad. This thing, I don't understand how this is working in my favor, but.